0: Okay right today I'm on a zoom call to Ireland I think uh, with Anthony Kaminskas who is a bookmaker but predominantly a professional gambler. Uh, Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to us Anthony. Uh, So starting from the sort of beginning you graduated from university and went to work for Paddy Power after a brief stint I think in a coral betting shop. What attracted you to the gambling
1: industry? And what attracted me to Gambling, just like making a few quid. Um, obviously you start off like everyone else, not knowing anything really. But you know, you might know a little bit about one or two different sports because you follow sports, be it horse racing or football or something. Um, yeah, and just, 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 just trying to win money basically, but but essentially guessing. I suppose like the vast majority of people still do um yeah and just 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 trying to win money i could always get into betting shops before i was 18 because i'm six foot three so it was uh always handy enough walking into a betting shop and and being served so it was that uh, probably started in my last few years of high school probably about 15 16 sort of thing so i could could get on in the stanley racing near my high school um but like nothing major like talking absolute pocket money stuff and paper and money but um yeah just trying to win a few quid and like everyone else really
0: and did you find from the start that you had a sort of aptitude for it or did you do your money like everybody else?
1: Yeah, do my money for sure. Yeah, just everything, everything that everyone, everyone does starting off, your football accumulators and picking up a coupon in the shop and not being aware of prices really and how important they are more being aware of teams and what team I thought we we're going to win rather than what price they are sort of thing. So, yeah.
0: Did it, did it open your eyes a bit when you got into like inside a trading room at Paddy Power to see that people actually were winning?
1: Yeah, to be honest, it opened my eyes in the coral shop, the first the, the first shop I worked in, they used to send communications around about what the e tray races were for the day and we wanted to avoid them. Um they used to try and push Yankees onto customers. Um and there was a I always remember there was a syndicate of like they used to bet like Eastern European, I think it was Eastern European football teams. They were called like the Greek syndicate around Manchester. And it was only they were only having monkeys on sort of thing. Um but they were betting stuff off the coupon, and like we had to ring all the bets over and it just like it, it just makes you think why 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 do we have to treat these guys differently to the to the regulars in the shop? And sure, that just set off the alarm bells of the they must be doing something right. And you could obviously see the P and Ls in the shop and everything like that. Um, and then when I went to when I was at uni, my last two or three years at uni, I was uh, in Betfred's office, head office in Birchwood, just on in the call center taking bets. It was different at Paddy Powell, but the call centre in Betfred, you used to be in the same. used to be in a massive, like, a bloody school hall, basically. Um, and you used to used to be able to see the traders on the other side of the hall. Um, but if there was a bet that needed clearing, you had to ring them. And it was just, like, the mystique of it all. Like, um, this guy's coming on. You could see what category he was, red, orange, or green, or whatever. Green, you could lay them, whatever. Red, you had to clear all the bets. And orange was a bit a bit in the middle. You used to use your own judgment, I suppose. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was just trying to work out. You you basically saw people who were winning for the first time in your life and you were just, just kind of piques the interest a little bit, doesn't
0: it? So it's changed a bit. I mean, I assume now they don't even have those people on anymore, do they? They just close them down. I don't know. It's uh...
1: Fred, I don't know how it works at, how it works at Fred's anymore. Um, yeah, even Powers, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose like early on in the industry, 10 years ago for me, 10, 12 years ago, even longer, um, you used to lay people as Marks. Um, doesn't happen anymore. Really, we weren't laying anyone at Pevers as a mark. Really, prior to prior to when I left Paddy Power, so um, yeah, I think that's the biggest change. You actually you used to get your card marked for a couple of grand off some of the guys, and Betfred used to lay some a couple in particular, very very smart customers who could just beat the markets basically and comfortably beat them. So that was always interesting. Were there were there any particular sort of punters or professional
0: punters that you read about or actually did business with that you sort of well, I, you know, I'll try and emulate them.
1: Yeah, like, I remember I remember the three main guys. At, I, I, honestly, the a guys, I could tell you their account number, I can recite them still, just because every time they came on the phone, it was bloody, um, oh, yeah. like, I could, uh, could, yeah, it was basically, everyone used to be able to press a button on your phone to go on standby, and as soon as one of them came on, every single person wanted to go for a piss, basically, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a mass exodus of people just trying to follow him in in the room. So, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, there was a couple of guys, um, the main guy was a guy called Jason Knowles, 60209, Mr. Knowles. Um, and he was just absolutely deadly. Um, I, I don't know him. I don't even know who he is. I've, I've heard his name mentioned the other time. And uh, he, I think he was based in Swindon. And he was, he was like Fred's smartest early price customer, basically. And he was sure he paid for, he paid for a few nights out at uni, did Mr. Knowles. So thank you.
0: So when you um you start, you, when did your skill in odds compiling start to develop? When did you have to sort of take on that task?
1: Uh, so I was always in risk. So the way powers used to do it when I, when I started at Paddy Power, the risk team and the traders, there was like a little bit of division between the two of them. So risk were like speaking to the traders but the traders thought they knew more than the risk guys because they probably did they understood the subjects a little bit better but we could also see the money coming in and where it was coming from and it was kind of you were trying to mix and match the two i think the traders knowledge is obviously very important and everything but i always think money talks more than what your opinion is money should help shape your opinion um, and there was always a little bit of uh frustration with trying to deal with the traders and trying to get them to cut a price at, at certain points and um, so yeah just um, and then I, I moved in towards compiling after that but like the game was changing obviously around then like 2013 2014 especially in, in Paddy Power with the merger with Betfurt and we originally set off compiling but then it all became about sure it all became about product and having as many markets up as Bet365 and it just like compiling kind of got pushed down the priority list essentially.
0: Okay, now if, if I've got my facts right, you were successfully punting and working for Paddy Power in parallel. How much of your early punting success was due to following like those sharp guys?
1: Well, when I was at uni, like I would have been following the lads at Betfred, the smart guys, and then just doing my own bets on the side, which wouldn't have been smart. Um, but we're talking when you said talking, following, I was having like 50 quid on, it was all the money I had in the world, so it was like a little bit different. As I started being able to get my own odds, compile an opinion, you just basically start following people. The frustration I always had was if I follow somebody and it gets beat, I don't know where I'm going wrong or anything. I'm not learning anything. I'm relying on somebody else, basically. And I don't know if it's just in my psyche, but I don't like relying on people that much. I like to do my own thing. Um, And so I wanted to have control over how I compiled and how I got bets on. Um yeah i think it's more a, i don't know if you'd call it a control thing but like uh i, I didn't want to have any excuses and if, if if i got stuff wrong um i wanted to be able to correct it myself rather than just not have any way to correct it i just had to follow the next bit so it's just just being in charge of my own thinking and my own process and if it all goes wrong there's only one person to blame and it's me basically Okay,
0: but did your did your punting earnings start to sort of eclipse those from your proper job before you decided to go pro punting, or did you did yeah. you sort of think this is the future and just jack it?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely uh it definitely was at the end for sure. The last few years, like um, I don't really have any regrets regrets with everything I've ever done, but like I wish I would probably do wish I would have left my job earlier than I did because I could have done it a lot earlier. And I kind of hung around and sure life. Circumstances with trying to get a house and stuff like that—it's kind of, it kind of forces your arm. But like, uh, I probably had two dead years at the end of my paddy per time where I probably could have gone earlier, and I probably should have done. Um, and I just hung around just to be uber safe, just to, just to, just to be in a good position that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be coming back with my tail between my legs in a year's time.
0: Yeah, but you're a, you're a sort of a, a married man. So how important was the support of your wife? You know was she all for it, or is it a bit of a a leap of
1: faith't it? yeah, like the missus wanted to get the house and we got that over the line as soon as that was over the line. I was gone basically, and you know you know women are nesters, aren't they, and guys like to take a bit of a risk just in general to generalize a little bit, and uh, I think that sure probably applies to everyone's wife as well, but like um, yeah my missus is great, to be honest with you. very I think the most plus e v decision you can make in your life is is getting a good good partner to spend it with, I think. Um, and I think I've, uh, I think I've got that. To be honest with you, I can't imagine what it's like if you're with someone and you, you can't stand them and you're trying to do stuff. Uh, it must be horrendous. So you need, you need somebody on side. And she, she's been all right. Yeah, good.
0: But you say you, you, you managed to get the house. You got the house while you're at a job. So you've got somewhere to live. What sort of tank did you have to start punting with?
1: um big enough to be honest with you i had i had about i was trying to get to 250k to quit my job basically and i had about 200 grand and then i was trying to get to 250 basically and i thought 250 was kind of my line in the sand i could just say right i've got to go and have a go at it and i basically won 150 160k on a bet on a lucky 15 we bet fred in a shop so i got paid and that took my tank up to about 350 ish and uh, fucking I think I handed my notice in the next day basically yeah the last horse the last horse was a Donald McCain horse at Bangor it was the shortest one of the four it was like a seven or four shot that went off evens and it was about 20 lengths clear coming to the last and it nearly fell and I swear to god I've never shit myself as much in my life because I knew that I was handing the notice and uh can't remember the name of the horse but um yeah and it just won about like, six lengths and easy enough and I was just like happy days happy days so yeah
0: now, the, doing these interviews, I feel a little bit like a stalker because I've, I've sort of asked people about you and I've done a bit of research and things. And uh, I'm sort of told, told that you found an edge that nobody else has spotted and then decided to go all in for it. Can you Can you tell us what that edge was or is it still your edge?
1: Um you'd probably have to ask me what you think it is, to be honest with you. I don't know. Like there's, it changes, it changes all the time. So if you know, if you know the edge in particular, you should say it to me. Cause I, I actually, no, don't. no, I, I don't, I don't. I, I was don't. just told
0: that you've, I was just told that you found an edge, but nobody no, else has spotted early doors.
1: That's what you, that's the dream. I think um, maybe I have on certain instances, but it's not, I didn't quit my job to go all in on one thing. Basically. I had a I had a few different things and a few things going on. Um, and edges are changing all the time as well. You never know. You never know. You never know how long they're going to last or how what's going on. So no, I never quit my job to go all in on an edge. I don't think anyway, unless someone can point it out to me. But um there's always edges that you're just trying to trying to exploit, basically.
0: Okay, and I've also heard you described as ruthless, um, but also the best punter they've ever dealt with. So that's from the same person. So is, is that is one like a prerequisite of the other?
1: uh prerequisite no i don't think so. I think it's um ruthless like I think when you've got when you've got no money essentially or when you've got ten grand and you want to have a hundred grand, I think that there has to be a, probably an element of ruthlessness in what you do, or you're just gonna win your ten grand every year, and a lot of people are happy with that on fair play um like if I see something that's like i would have had I would have had a horse originally that I was involved in with like 10 guys, the first horse that got me into it. And we were going to bet it one day. There was a big WhatsApp thread about it. And some lads wanted to go early. I wanted to hold and a couple of lads wanted to hold. And it materialized that some people went early and some people held like standard WhatsApp. We all own a horse chat that gets repeated probably the country over every single week. Um, so I just knew that I didn't want to deal with the people that wanted to go early. So I just basically relinquished my share in the horse pretty much straight away, just because now you could call that ruthless, but there's like, there's, um, there's methods and a madness, basically. Like I'm just trying to, I, I want edges and I want to win money. And if, if you have a different opinion to me and you want to go about it a different way, I think that's fine. Like, um, but I'll just won't deal with you. On a on a business point of view, and there's people that I don't deal with on a business point of view that I'd I'd happily go for a pint with and chill out with, but when I'm trying to make money, if I think you're going to hamper that in just your actions, I'm probably going to cut you off, <laughs> and uh, that's basically it. Mate. Like if that makes me a prick, sure I'm a prick. Like do you know what I mean? It's uh like there's you've got to protect your edges and you've got to do it as efficiently as possible and as under the radar as possible. And if people if there's going to be a difference of opinion, you might as well go ahead. And, I mean, I, and I'd be happy for them if the horse won and they got the 10 grand out of it, happy it is. Like, I, I don't have any, I don't have regrets. I don't have any jealousy about anybody. Um, but just, I have my way of doing things. And if, if, if it differs for someone else, I just, won't, I just won't deal with them, basically.
0: Okay, now, I've got this from somewhere. I can't remember where I got it from. You were, you were obviously very aware of the way bookmakers work and the markets and you were looking for inefficiencies in the markets is is that correct
1: yeah i just think you're looking for off prices basically you're looking for prices that are yeah incorrect that you can get bets down on prices that are bigger than the price you make it basically and uh, any markets that keep repeating stuff like that and keep staying efficient I think you get like a lot of bookies that have kind of gone away from trader opinion and gone like pure quant and the math guys just take over in the background and they've all got their degrees from wherever. But I think you can can beat those guys pretty easily in certain spots. And uh, if that's the way the bookies want to go without a proper trader's opinion, perfect. Like I'd rather be betting against them than working for them, basically.
0: Now, given your inside sort of knowledge of the business, probably easier than most people, were they easy for you to find or was it a lot of work?
1: I think it's a little bit of experience, isn't it? Like it's, um, yeah, like I can find bets getting on them as well as, a, as a, another part of it. But like you can find bets all the time. The bets are everywhere, like the amount of markets they've got and net selections on an individual bookies website it must be tens of thousands every single day, every minute of every day. There's edges all over the place, basically if you know how the, if you know how markets work and you can you can spot certain instances uh, in different sports, and every sport's different but yeah there's there's plenty of inefficiencies basically in the market and, and some of them will keep repeating over and over basically
0: so are you spotting that in the mathematics I mean you know or do you have to know everything about basketball to spot that there's a rick <laughs>
1: um I think the mathematics is usually because there's that much stuff to look at the mathematics of looking at a market and it doesn't always apply because bookies tend to take more margin in markets they've got less confidence in, for example. But I used to just always look at markets where say like in the place part of a market, I'll just if I'm, if I've got an hour to look at horse racing, I'm not going to look at the 40 races that are on today. I'm going to filter them down into the races where there's just a basic each way edge, basically, um, straight away. And I can filter down to five races and I might as well focus on them. If I've got all day to look at 40 races, I can do it, but like the maths might be my starting point into into what I look at for the day.
0: And do you find that they're as easy to exploit as they are to spot?
1: Mm, yeah, the exploiting, the execution, of getting the bets on is obviously is obviously a massive part of it. In the UK, where and, and quite a few territories in the world, where they just can't, they don't want ...lads that even break even, so. Yeah, getting bets on is most of it. To be honest with you, I think the, I think, I think finding the mistakes is pretty easy. I think anyone can do it really. I don't think there's nothing particular in what I do there. I might be able to do it better than some people, less well than some people. But I think, I think the execution of getting bets on is a, is a massive part of it, and that's where a bit of a team aspect comes in as well. Um I think I'm pretty good at that. That's just one thing I'm pretty good at getting down. So yeah.
0: There's a, a quote that I I read that you you said you did not want to be the smartest guy in the room. What do you mean by that? And this is in context with you like to sort of you like to work with like-minded people.
1: Yeah, I think you just want to learn off people. Like it's, it's one of the reasons I left Betfred. Right? Probably one of the reasons I left Paddy Power. Just at you know, some places when you're working you just think sure what, what am I going to learn here now what is like when when it gets to the point where you're starting to teach people rather than learn off people I'm kind of done um sure I don't want to be I'm not wouldn't be the best teacher in the world Um, wouldn't have the best patience in the world just in general and uh I just want to learn off people I want to soak as much up a, off off smarter people than me basically and there's there's plenty of those about so like I, I just tend to gravitate like I've always liked talking to older people just in general in my life just like I'd rather talk to the, the guy who's 70, who's got a few war stories than uh, than someone younger than me, basically. Um, because you learn off you learn off people who've got more experience than you in certain things, and that's kind of sure, that's kind of what I want to do. I wanna I want I don't want a bit of smartest smartest guy in the room is a book about Enron. I think the collapse of Enron in the in the United States is a great book. Um, but yeah, like I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to I wanna learn off people basically.
0: Okay, now. Obviously, the, the job that you've chosen, professional gambling, you can't, probably can't get much more stressful. Um, now, I was told that you were seconds away, literally, from winning half a million quid on one bet and had the cup cruelly snatched from your lips, pretty much the last kick of the game. And you took it extremely stoically. I mean, how? Um,
1: Is that even I correct? What, I yeah, it sounds right, but I don't know what instance of a bet it was. Um sure there's been a few to be honest with you sure you get good beats and bad beats all the time i think i think your psychology like you people remember the bad ones and people like to talk about the near misses but a lot of people don't like to talk about when they got real lucky and the 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 near miss went against someone else but it went for them and they put that down to skill rather than bad luck uh it's all it's all part of the same thing for me it's just the other side of the coin basically it's uh You get bad beats all the time. I Had a bad one this year where John Rahm was withdrawn from the memorial with COVID when he was sixth clear. That was a particular bad one. Um, And it's just what it is. Like somebody else's back can't lay somewhere in that event, and he's never going to win. And he wins, and they think they're really smart. And I don't think I think it's just much and a muchness. I don't don't get real high when I win. Um, I wish I probably did get a bit higher when I won because it'd be more fun. But like I don't really get. But then the flip side is I don't really get that down when I lose or something goes against me as well, which I think stands me in good stead. So I, uh, yeah, just got to treat it, treat it all the same, basically.
0: It sounds to me like that's your just your natural personality is being quite a cool cucumber rather than a hothead. Is is that would that be fair to say?
1: Well, if anyone's ever seen me play football, they'd probably disagree with that. To be honest, yeah, I'm a bit of a. <laughs> I can't get. i my irrational parts come out on the football pitch. I'd say, but uh, like, yeah, just yeah, just be trying. I, I, if I can control it, I like to be able to control it. And but then I think that stuff that's outside of my control, like John Ram getting COVID for the third time, I'm not going to spend any time getting angry about it. Basically, because I actually can't control it. If, if there's something I've missed, if John Ram drops a COVID test on the floor and the cameras pan into it and he's failed a Covid test and I don't see that p- piece of footage I might get angry but sure there's nothing I can do about that so I'm not going to spend any time w- wasted regretting and, it basically
0: uh, the horse racing is something obviously <coughs> it's, well I assume it's quite a big part of your business and um, without without there being any sort of uh, any sort of proof you've, you've apparently landed some, some sort of touches or orchestrated some touches on the horses and they tend to have been when everybody's looking somewhere else now i've got to say some of the people i've asked about you know, they're very loyal they're like don't know anything about that and then i've said well isn't this a <laughs> photograph is this not a photograph of you with the horse that oh yeah that one so you know can you, I, I don't expect you to tell us everything but can you give us something about some of these touches that you've been behind
1: yeah i can yeah uh what i'd say is I don't really bet horses anymore, which is the first thing I'd say, just because we kind of probably we candidly went for the went for the stars and went for the sun and got the stars or whatever the moon the stars. And we had some good times with the horses. Uh, what would you say? What would you say about the horses? Yeah, I was just looking after a few bits and pieces. We're getting bets on. Um, Where would I put it with the horses? Like we were, we did well. We we were actually really lucky with the horses, I think, because. I think I we noticed or I noticed that you could get big multiples on, on horse racing um, and we kind of put in a plan to like maximise that and that went really well, some, some downsides to it, but it went well overall and we won a lot of money. I think very quickly, within 18 months, the avenues had begun to shut down, but we were really lucky that kind of we just stopped having winners after that. So we were struggling to get on. But it actually coincided where if we could have got on, we probably would have lost it all back, basically. The kind of, uh, our kind of edge had disappeared. Um, but we weren't able to lose the money back because everyone was terrified of the bets. So I don't even know if what we were doing was that smart, to be honest with you, overall. Probably it wasn't. And we probably just got a bit lucky um, just with placing horses. And yeah, I think like when you're saying people looking at big meetings, I had a horse called Ratio with a mate of mine that won at Dundalk when Cheltenham was on, that was the first one that I did on my own, where basically wanted to have a good bet on him one day at Dundalk on the Friday at Cheltenham and did that. And he won, still went off. Like he actually went, his bet for SP was about the same price that I took on him to be honest with you. So like the market wasn't really respecting us at that stage, but we got a good few quid out of him. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I suppose like the market caught up to us, but it, coincided with us losing money. And uh, we, we got lucky that we were able to get out and stay ahead, basically, I think, in the end.
0: You've used the, pl- the plural there a few times. So how how big a team was we?
1: We, there was a couple of us. I wouldn't say the other lads' names for sure, but um, I probably wasn't even the biggest guy in it, to be honest with you. But I think, uh, what would you say? Like, uh, yeah, there's we. I was I was looking after a lot of it other people were getting bets on and i didn't have any part of that because i just don't actually enjoy the placing of the bet side of it i like digging into it and i like the plotting side of it a lot more than the the actual execution i hate going in betting shops betting shops i just i just hate being around them basically it just does nothing for me and so i just like to send other people in basically in the main um and that's kind of what we did with the horses we were doing a bit online originally kind of got less online a bit more in shops and like everything, the, the 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 edge went out of it. I think in the end, and uh, we kind of we kind of disbanded, and all went on to other things. So yeah.
0: Okay. Now I've I listened to a podcast that you took part in, um, and you said that you um, have had or have I don't know which is which now a network of people that help you get on. Is that still the case?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like um, I can't get bets on in my own name. I have I have a good relationship with Bat Duck. And a good relationship with Matchbook. Bad relationship with Bet for you'd probably say just with the responsible gambling stuff. Like you won't even go into what's going on with a at, at Bet for exchange. Um bookmakers tend to not I'd love to work with bookmakers. I'd love to say, you give me a bet to win this, and I'll actually just correct the bad prices on your website and for, for a nominal amount. But if I can if but then I'd just use other people to get on with them. Anyone who closes me down. I, I bet with every bookie on Odds Checker. And I bet with other ones that aren't on on Checker in the UK as well, um, and none of them are in my own name. So that's just that's just the way it is.
0: And your your network spreads further afield than that.
1: Yeah, I've just got contacts in different countries: Canada, Australia, America, Italy, Georgia. Bit few different pieces, basically, and just just you know, just trying to get money on, basically, yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the- the bit about that. How difficult is it to cultivate a network of people that you can really really rely on and trust?
1: Yeah. your difficult. network's getting bigger. Yeah, there's a lot of management of it, to be honest with you. Like it's uh just have good relationships with people. I think when you're saying when people use the ruthless comment, I suppose the advantage of being ruthless is you end up with a small little team of people that you feel they feel like you can trust quite a lot, and uh you can send them stuff and it's not going to get sent anywhere else. I'd imagine that the bookies that know that I'm betting with them, I, I'd imagine that they at the moment they don't really know where it's coming from because it's quite well concealed. Um, and that's the way I want it, really. I, I don't want to – I think everyone at one stage goes through at the start of a career, you would be saying, oh, I won this bet and talking aloud and stuff like that. And I find that got – ended up getting me nowhere. Um, you 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 wind people up more than uh, get them on side. So I just keep my mouth shut and just try and get it quietly, basically, just in general.
0: So you, met, you mentioned that you've got you mentioned you've got a, a good relationship with a couple of the, without being insulted, so they them, more minor um, bookmakers, uh, uh, betting exchanges. I mean, it has the betting exchange sort of had its day now. Do you think is it is it on the way out?
1: I think well, I think the main betting exchange has regressed massively. Um I think they've kicked off so many good punters for r g and stuff like that when there's no r. g issues and they're well aware that there's no r g issues and it's just i think it's the blind leading in the blind at one of them um it used to be really good, even just like the amount of mistakes on the on the on the machine on the on the exchange and just markets not being set up properly non runners not being taken out properly like it's just the whole i think the whole system is just kind of there doesn't make us that much money kind of just leave those people in charge of it and just leave it tick away until until it regresses even further into nothing basically i think one thing about bet and matchbook is they are having a go like they're massively up against it with market share and matchbook could be doing different things as well as as just having the exchange um i find that they're really easy to talk to without being weird about it like uh like got got in touch with the main guys at bed straight on a call with me trying to seed markets for them do a few bits and pieces for them and like how can i help you how can we have a mutually beneficial relationship basically i i know you're going to have to charge me a certain rate of commission if i'm taking money off off your market makers and whatever way you're going about it but try and explain it from my side you explain it from your side and can we meet in the middle somewhere and that's mutually beneficial to everyone them think the main main is there's just nothing there for that basically it's just kind of these are the rules this is it you apply or you don't and there's no there's no leeway there's no there's no one who's able to make a decision in in that regard matchbook the guys at matchbook like um spoke to jesse may a good bit on zoom and had calls with him and just yeah just again trying to find something in the middle with with matchbook where we can just basically both help each other out sports that I'd be able to I'd be basically looking at the, the exchange and just seeing where they've got gaps and things like that. And just saying, well, this is what I can do for you. I think I'll win this out of it by doing that for you. Can you, what what rate of commission do you want for that service that I can provide or whatever like that? So um, I found, just find Matchbook and Betdaq have been real good to deal with. And sure, that might not last forever. In three months, I might have a call with them and they just say, it's not working out for us. Don't think we can find anything grand but there's someone with a brain cell picking up the phone and having an intelligent conversation back with you. And I think, uh, I hope, I hope they get bigger than they are both of them because, uh, they're having a go anyway.
0: Okay. Now this next bit, I've got to be extremely vague because I do want you to talk about it if possible. Um, but your name has popped up in relation to a few successful bets. Well, that's successful. even made the headlines for various reasons. Um, how do you feel about bookmakers that are happy to take bets but then do their utmost not to pay?
1: <laughs> um, oh, I kind of half-blame the Gambling Commission for allowing it, to be honest with you. Um, what would you say? Yeah, I think some of the terms and conditions are obviously illegal. <laughs> um Ah, oh, there's a million things. There's a million things to be honest with you. No one wants to hear my my sob stories about not being paid on bets and stuff like that. So, and um,
0: well, we do a little bit.
1: <laughs> um, like, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a bit of both sides. You can see arguments from both sides. Um, I don't think bookmakers should be able to lay. Even myself, when I'm laying bets, I don't think bookmakers should be able to lay customers that are going to lose ten percent to them and anyone else they want they want touch. I think there's got to be some kind of meeting in the middle with with everything. There's two sides to every story, and I think there's. I think if you're just going to rinse people, I wouldn't want to be a bookmaker. And I'd imagine it's quite isolating for some of the people that own some of the major bookmakers as well. Like if you if you've built this little brand from a little port or cabin or whatever up into an absolute giant, I'd imagine when you're at the head of that table and you've got more money than you can ever have dreamed of in your life i'd imagine it's quite isolating and you're trying to protect you're trying to protect everything and anyone who's attacking you from even the crumbs relative crumbs that some people like myself would have been taking off people i think you just gotta i think you've just gotta suck it up as a cost of business like um like i wouldn't i wouldn't want to have i wouldn't want to have billions of pounds it, it made me uncomfortable to be honest with you um but yeah i don't know like i think uk bookmakers have probably got away with a lot of things and there's a lot of focus on it now at the moment and i'm i'm obviously not anti-gambling it's basically changed my life it's given me a better life than i could ever imagine so i absolutely love gambling it's it is my life really and bookmaking and everything around it i absolutely love it but i just just think some of the practices are just pretty pretty appalling um and I think a lot of it is when well not with some, but I think a lot of it changed massively when bookmakers went onto the stock market and it became about the next quarter and getting as many customers as possible rather than just being a bit more ethical just in general um but yeah like i i've no I've no regrets about anything I've ever done and um yeah i can I can sleep easy at night and some some bets you don't get paid on and Anyone who's ever had a bet with me has always been paid, and uh, anyone I've owed money to, I've always paid. Even if you know, so like, that'd be my thoughts on it. But
0: I mean, bookmakers get. can the bookmakers even be expected to know where the money's coming from? Should that even be a, a a privilege that they've been? You know, should they get the ump because they don't know where the money's coming from? But should that make yeah. a difference?
1: Well. well <laughs> make a difference i think you should have proper risk management systems in place for it especially if you're a, if you're a billionaire you should you should be able to you should be able to protect yourself we all know the holes in your websites you should be able to protect yourself better and if somebody smarter than you in one instance comes in and and teaches you how to how to be better you should pay them and learn the lesson is what i'd be thinking like i was interested in when that paul, paul merson documentary was on bbc the other night and everybody's talking about There was one part of it where he said that when he he was losing money and he was saying, I'm putting 2,000 in there, 2,000. And then my sister sent me three grand and she put it in. I bet bet the bookmakers didn't void all these bets because the sister sent him three grand. Um, So there's they apply rules, but they apply them in certain instances, basically to stop people who are winning, to pay them out. And we all know that happens. And I'm not comfortable with it. And people might not be comfortable with me betting in other people's names and... Should we all have our own individual stances on it, basically, um, but yeah i couldn't I couldn't just find ways not to pay people and then just take people's money. It wouldn't sit comfortably with me, but I'm sure there's stuff I do that people aren't massively comfortable with, but like they, they, they would be my rules for life. Anyway, if somebody beats me, I'm going to pay them out and close the loophole basically and carry on with my life. Now,
0: now you've talked about your your current business model. You've got a network of people that can get your bets on for you. Is there an increased risk, just similar to what we've just talked about, that there's going to be reams and reams of smaller and smaller print that means if you do have a spark off, they're going to point to some tiny little clause in the future, in in the way you do it as the head of
1: a a team? Like, I've, I've been paid on every bet I've ever done since 2018. So... So I kind of adapt. I'm sure there's stuff that I'm doing now that somebody's going to find some issue with at some point when they realise what they're losing and just not pay out. And I'll have to adapt my strategy to that something. But at the moment, everything works. Everything works prior to not being paid out on other stuff. And then as soon as something doesn't work, you change your strategy. Like like I say, I, I get on with every bookmaker on Oz Checker. Like, so... but but they don't know where it's coming from and they're just constantly I suppose they're constantly closing accounts but we have ways to keep them open longer and stuff like that I'd like to work with bookmakers I suppose but it's just like I was explaining earlier in in the part one just there's no marks anymore there's no there's nobody to teach you and this is why I feel quite lucky that I started in the industry when I did because if I made a mistake I laid it and I knew why I was wrong and I could get better if you're a if you're a trader now in a bookmaker's firm, you're hiding behind pal palpars, you're hiding behind a million different things, you're not laying winning customers basically. Um, how do you learn? How do you get better? You don't, you're gonna be sat in that chair for the next 40 years getting your two percent inflation rise every single year, and you're not gonna do anything with your life, I don't think, apart from whatever, not work-wise. And I just didn't wanna do that basically. So yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you said that you don't really back horses anymore. So what sport is your main focus these days?
1: <laughs> um, oh, fuck. Um, there's a few sports I bet on, basically. My highest ROI edge is amusingly grey ends, but I don't bet grey races. I just bet grey in derbies. So I bet on the English grey derby and I bet on the Irish grey derby every single year. And I build up big books and I put a lot of work into it and I can beat... I think the last derby I lost on was the 2017 English derby or something like that. It was a a while ago. Um, And I just focus on the events where you can get money on. If there's a sport where you can get money on, I find sport in general, Simon, to be honest with you, outside of horses and dogs. Horses and dogs, you've got an SP to benchmark you against very quickly. And if you beat it, you're gone. Whereas I think in sport, there's a little bit more nuance and there's usually higher limits. And I think people, I think even bookmakers just have it in the head that horse racing can be fixed or parts of it can be fixed. And I think they have it with dogs as well. Um, whereas I think in sport people generally think sport can't be fixed and you get higher limits, you get a longer run. If I went on sports, I don't get my accounts closed straight away and I just gravitate to where I can get more money on and less hassle for accounts. And it tends not to be in horse racing and ground racing. So that's kind of the way I'd be looking at. I'd be doing a lot of football, um, Quantity-wise football is probably the biggest.
0: And do you have a sort of a go-to brains trust for each sport? If you spot at the market, we think, oh, there's a Rick there, good opportunity. Have you got like a a person in that sport that you would collaborate with and sort of ask them to look into it a bit deeper, <laughs> or do you do it all yourself?
1: I used to do it all myself, but it's probably it's probably taking a lot more time than it should have done. So I kind of came out of my shell a little bit more to trying to deal with people. Um yeah, just you can bounce, I can bounce any sport of different people basically. It's kind of like an informal thing. It's not like a... and if we both spot something, we'll then plan how to get down and split the belt. Basically there's no I don't need to, I don't need every single piece of pie. Like I'm a, I'm well aware of the the positives and advantages of working with a network of people and smart people basically. And I think I think everyone can win like everyone can win gambling if they want to put their mind to it. But I think not a lot of people can scale it. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to scale it uh, and just trying to get as much care of it as I can so I can retire early, I suppose.
0: Okay, so I've already mentioned that you know, it must be one of the most stressful businesses that you've decided to take on your professional gambling and bookmaking now as well. How do you do unwind from it ever? Can you sort of have a switch off where you can just
1: – yeah I don't know like you know when you talk about like problem gamblers and it's all encompassing for problem gamblers I think there's like obviously I definitely don't want no sympathy but like I think there's like a problem winner as well like it's kind of it's full-on like like it takes up a Get lot some of your stick time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah like but you know like I mean just like the amount of time you spend thinking about it and it's like you'd be wanting to switch your brain off a lot of the time and I'm like when you've got no money, you're trying to win money. And then when you've got a few quid, I think I get frustrated if I miss things. So like I'm trying to be on top of everything and it can be quite mentally taxing. And um, I try and unwind, like I've got a family. So like now, so like uh I take the boys to crash every morning, try and, I basically try and free up as much time as I can to spend with my kids, basically. And um, I think that's the best thing you can give your kids is your time. Um and t- like time's precious enough as it is and uh yeah i'd be just trying that's the way i try and unwind to be honest with you. i always want to be around my family i suppose and um, just because it's great fun isn't it when your kids are younger running around and you, you're half teaching them certain things and they, when they remember certain things and it's just real nice basically and that's how i unwind basically
0: okay and i was intrigued because when we organized this call you said you were doing a bit of volunteering and then you would be able to come on after that. So can you really tell us a bit about this volunteering?
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite an important thing to me, to be honest. Like, um, I always wanted to do some kind of volunteering. Like, I always had it in my head that I was going to, like, give out food at a soup kitchen or something like that, just to, just as a helping out sort of thing. But, like, when I left my job and I was like, right, I definitely got free time. I can definitely make use of a couple of hours every week. So there's a charity in Dublin called Alone, and it kind of appeals to me because... Both my grandparents on my mom's side died when I was real young and my granddad died when I was young. So I only had my nan basically um, on my dad's side and she's been like on her own. She's 88. She's been on her own. She lives in the house on her own. And like sometimes when you go back and she's so delighted to see you and like just being around somebody who's on their own a lot can like make a big difference. So like alone is just like older people. that are... It's the one thing I hate to be honest with you is like people who are on their own. Like it really actually like gets to me a little bit. And, um, so yeah, just basically I'd go to a guy and he'd, um, he'd basically had, he's got quite a few issues with his health and his mental health and stuff like that. And he'd had like four or five people that had been to see him for like two or three weeks and then kind of jacked it in. And so he'd had all these volunteers going to him and then, cause he was such a hard case, they were jacking it in. So I turn up green as grass and it's like, you've been paired with this guy. And I didn't even, they didn't even tell me all this. So I rock up at his house and I'm, you know, you like you meet someone for the first time and you're like you expect to, to have like the wall stories chats, but it was like a little bit more complicated and a little bit more different. Um, yeah, and I've just uh, I've just been to see him for like two and a half, three years basically. And I used to go once a week, and just in lockdown, I was going down twice a week to him. Um, and he has it pretty tough basically, and uh yeah, just I, I I'll actually keep going seeing him. To be honest with you, I think he's like part of. I couldn't bin him off basically because you're helping him out and you're having a having a quite an effect on his life so i quite like i quite like being able to do that basically
0: Is said it's not like your um your barney curly giving a little back
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah no it's just it's, it's it's i suppose originally it was for half selfish reasons as well you want to help someone out and you want to feel good about it and stuff but like just the way it's ended up like we, we just go for coffee, basically. We just walk into, walk into a little town centre, a little village centre and go for a coffee and walk back. And that's literally all it is. But uh, I think it makes a massive difference to his life. And it's kind of like, there'll be some weeks you would be going and you're just like, I've got loads to do and bloody need to do this, need to do that. But like you make that little bit of time for somebody else. And yeah, I suppose it's like you're helping them out a little bit. And it's, I think when you're a gambling, you're a professional gambler and you start acquiring money, um, You don't really contribute much apart from spending money on fucking, you know, whatever, holidays and bits and pieces. And how much do you even contribute to society in in different ways? And sure, that was my just little thing to do. So just to help someone else out, basically.
0: No, then that's all very commendable. But you've also helped out UK race courses with their gambling (laughs) products. Now, it wasn't you that recommended having fake bookies all around the paddock and stuff like that, was it?
1: What was this now, fake bookies? Tell me about this. Well, well some, of, some of the, cor- some, of the courses,
0: some of the courses have got what look like bookmakers. They've, they've requisitioned the prime pitches and they're standing up looking like bookmakers, but basically they're just a tote outlet. Oh, that
1: okay. was that
0: was no. in your advice?
1: No, no, no. I'd always be. I think if you're standing like horse racing, it's hard enough to win money on just the early. The prices are going up, and how how good the prices are, and how much information you don't have in the market when you set your prices it's hard to get bets on on horse racing i think it's hard for yards to keep the mouth shut but i think what i'm trying to get at is by the time the show comes along there's certain yards who can keep stuff quiet to the show and that's what we used to try and do but the majority of people have talked already how they've spoken and you know quite a lot of information by the time 20 minutes to the off comes along and i think you should probably I'm not into talking, talking bets just in general, basically. So I think if you're laying short prices, you, you might get caught with the odd one, but you should be laying short prices. I'm not into this, these lads that press the green up button on the off and take the hundred quid and they're happy to take 300 quid home at the end of the day. I can't be arsed with that. I'd just, I'd rather I just will not be into that at all. I like it's my version of gambling, the variance of the laying the bets, I suppose. So like you don't know whether you're gonna win a grand on a race or lose a grand on a race. It's a bit more Makes it interesting. If you go in there just to green up to win 60 quid, wouldn't wouldn't interest me. You've got to lay bets and see what happens basically.
0: But, but what, what have you actually advised the UK racecourses though?
1: Uh, so that was Tolster and I was looking, I was chatting to Tolster with, I don't know Ben has a, had a relationship with Toster I would have spoke to Mick Livesey a little bit and just from the ground days, from back in the day. So Mick would have known about me. I think Kevin Ackerman. So I met Kevin a couple of times. Um, yeah, and just the, the lads at Torster were trying to do a few things differently. With you know, when they were putting on like different races and they were like trying to do like three dog races and they were eight dog races and eight dog races wasn't my idea, by the way. But like um, there were certain things they were trying to do. And uh, I was just trying to advise them. I think there was one point when I met Lord Hesketh very briefly and he was telling me how excited he was about the three dog races and like it was a real good three dog race they had on at Toaster one night when i was there uh, and you kind of like you don't want to piss on chips or anything but like i was just like this is no one's going to be interested in this like they'll bet on they'll bet on six a nine dogs as much as they'll bet on three good quality open race dogs and like I loved what they were trying to do, though, but I think some of it was a little bit naive. And I was just trying to, like, give them a bookmaking point of view as to how to make it more appealable to bookmakers without losing the integrity of what they were trying to do with the open racing and stuff. So bits and pieces like that.
0: OK, now, talking bookmaking, that leads nicely on to AK bets. Now You've just invested in pitches in Ireland, and I've read also that hopefully in the UK as well at some point, just when the clever bunny says that the racecourse business is on its ass.
1: <laughs> yeah it's all about pricing it, Simon. Like if the clever money is disappearing, when does it stop? When does it stop being on its ass? And I all, I'm always amazed by on course bookmakers, to be honest. I think they all heart back to 30 years ago. I don't know. I don't I don't mean to offend anyone, but like like when they could really make a proper few quid and they all live in the country house and everything, it's just kind of not what it is now. Um, they all say it's on their ass, but from what I can see, they all turn up every day as well. So like how much on its ass is it is what I always think. Yeah. Um, like I'm not going to get rich here. But it's just a, it's just another. I'm trying to make another little income stream that I can. I'm actually trying to get involved with a couple of members of my family who, who might not like their jobs and just try and teach them. It and it gives them a day out and, sure allows them to just do stuff basic and, uh, yeah. And I'm going to do bits and pieces in in Ireland and looking at trying to. I nearly got Galway done there the other day. So I'm just I'm I'm picking up pitches at just the more festivaly meetings and trying to get good pitches basically trying to get a couple of number one pitches and I'm just trying to go as just trying to have a go at it basically just as another income stream that can just tick away in the background after a little while and uh and half run itself and just get good people to help me out with it kind of kind of what mr mr keith has probably done a little bit as well just trying to get stuff working and then move on to the next thing and uh yeah just trying to yeah just trying to make a few quid and just trying to help some other people out in in the family as well
0: now you had a, you had a nice bit of publicity where I spotted you actually in the racing post a couple of weeks ago, uh, where you sort of said that you want to help hunters that can't get on get on. So is this is this gonna be about getting your card marked and then getting your network into gear? Is that what the, the main <clears> the <throat> business is?
1: Yeah, I think um I think there's information on the race course that's not in the market or not in a bet for SP. Um like I think all the firms the previous saw, the Paddy pair and the and the hills and the labrooks, and I think they all had the presences on course for a reason. And that was because there was probably what they A to shorten horses up, and B, because there was probably information that wasn't being captured in the head offices. I think that is one part of it. From what I've learned in my early days, it's probably not as big a part of it. But I think there is information there if you know what you're looking at. So that is that is one positive. But I think it's just a layer. I actually quite like it as well. I just like dealing with normal people that aren't mad into the betting and then just want to have a good time as well. So it's kind of just, it's somewhat a little bit different for me as well at the moment. Um, just getting outside a little bit more as well. <laughs> like it's uh, it's nice when you're stuck in front of a computer all day. It's, uh, it's just nice to get out as well. So, you know.
0: You've read that you, um, you've helped create models for both poachers and gamekeepers. So I'm assuming you mean hunters and bookmakers. Are those, they must be bulletproof, mustn't they?
1: uh i think stuff always changes so you always need somebody having a, keeping an eye on things um with regard to paddy power they'd have a lot smarter people than me on a computer building models i was always inputting from a trader point of view and that's kind of where my skill is basically if you want me to build a model i think you're going to struggle i can advise on the things that your models missing when it's spitting out outputs and stuff like that so um yeah, I kind of don't really do it for bookmakers anymore, to be honest with you. It's kind of something that I did do, and it's something I did very briefly when I left Paddy Power uh, for somebody. Um, but I kind of be doing it all myself now just because I have more time and uh, and I can get more out of it, getting accurate prices myself and then just betting with them, basically. So, uh,
0: yeah. My second from last question was going to be, is your way of doing things something that will always be viable? But I... Or do you have to be one step ahead? And I think we've already ascertained from what you said in this that you are always looking to, to do the next thing. I mean, have yeah. you got your eye on the next thing already for when the thing that you're doing now goes tits up?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping it doesn't go tits up, but I hope I get out before it goes tits up. But um, yeah, you just always I think stuff always evolves, basically, is what I'd say. I think you want to be just always on top of things and always trying to see where things are going. And some things, if they do go downhill, you want to be exiting. And you're yeah, I'm always looking for the next thing basically. Uh yeah, just um, yeah, just stuff evolves and you've just got to be on top of things and you're just always trying to see which way the wind's blowing and be at the head of the queue for for that for the next thing, basically. So um yeah, just just trying to evolve as much as I can.
0: Uh, the, the final question, I've got to ask you if it's true or not first, was, is it, is my information correct that one of your ambitions was always to win a million quid for one bet?
1: Yeah, it would have been, yeah, like I used to love, I know some people don't like him, um, I and Matthew Trenhale usually winds me up about it, but like I, I when I read Patrick Veach's book, it was kind of a big thing for me because I'd heard about Veach from the past, from people who used to work in trading rooms and what Veach was up to and stuff, and I just, I was just fascinated by it basically. And I know a lot of people might not like him or they don't like what he did. Or I, I, he was just a bit of, he was probably a little, Harry Finley used to be always a little bit of a cult hero of mine as well. Harry Finley and Patrick Beach, and they're two different, two different ways of going about things and definitely two different approaches. I used to like Finley because he was just a character, there's no characters around. Um, and he was obviously throwing massive money around, and that was kind of intoxicating as well. With with like half a punter streak and half smart as well, it was always interesting to see which way it was going to go. Uh, and uh, but like Patrick Veach I kind of, I kind of, I kind of related a bit more to the just the ice cold, dispassionate person just getting money out of it and then fucking off in his helicopter somewhere. Kind of like when I had no money and I was getting the bus everywhere, it was kind of something that I aspired to to do. Um, and I think he was talking about, he might have talked about winning a million quid or something like that, so when you've got no money you have these, you put numbers on things but like, uh, yeah I don't I don't set myself amounts to win and stuff like that anymore anyway.
0: Okay, well, I think both of those guys, I've spoken to both of them, they've yet to do one of these, but I have spoken to yeah. them both, so hopefully if you're
1: watching Yeah, get Patrick Beach. Yep. So if you, Patrick if you got a hold of Harry. Patrick beach pass him, pass him my number as well, I'd love to have a chat with him
0: and the final the final, so have you actually done it have you achieved have you achieved your ambition there yet
1: to what win a million quid Won a
0: million quid on one bet
1: yeah uh yeah but it wasn't all mine <laughs> i had i had stake i had stakeholders so i had, i had people taking shares so uh no it wasn't all mine but yeah we did it yeah yeah
0: well that's great to hit end on a on a successful note so um anyway Anthony, thank you very much for uh, talking to us. It's been brilliant. Really appreciate it. Nice
1: one, man. It was a pleasure as well. and love the series. And uh, yeah, it's just a pleasure to to chat to you. I feel like I know you, so it's been good, yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers.
0: New Betting People interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive
1: interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.